Hi, I'm Matthew Kind. Every Monday, look for a fresh new episode where I'll take you behind the scenes and interview the insiders that are shaping the rapidly evolving cannabis industry. Learn more at cannainsider.com. That's C-A-N-N-A insider.com. Now here's your program. How do you take lessons learned from Silicon Valley and apply them to cannabis POS software to help cannabis retailers save time and money? Here to help us answer that question is Barry Sakes, CEO of Greenbits. Barry, welcome to Canna Insider. Thanks. Glad to be here. Give us a sense of geography. Where are you in the world today? Uh, I am in Silicon Valley. Um, our company has a few people in the Silicon Valley, and then we have some people in the Pacific Northwest and spread out all over the world, actually. <laughs> okay. And what's Greenbits on a high level? The Greenbits is a point of sale and inventory track and trace system for cannabis dispensaries to use to run their, their operations. Okay. And Barry, can you share a little bit about your background and journey and how you got into the cannabis space and started Greenbits? Sure. Um, I spent a long time working at a company called Intuit that makes TurboTax and QuickBooks uh, and spent a good amount of time in, in TurboTax uh, in the product uh, management organization there and was head of product at TurboTax for a time. And then I became a general manager running businesses at Intuit. But all those businesses were focused on um, either personal finance or small business accounting and finance. So then later in my career, as I was moving on from Intuit and some other, other businesses, I've maintained that theme of focusing on businesses that really were trying to solve problems for small business owners. And when I came across the Greenbix opportunity, it really was a great fit for me, given my background in uh, small business accounting and also uh, coupled with my background in compliance and with filing uh, you know, tax returns with the government. There's a similar problem in the cannabis space in terms of filing all of your your uh, cannabis reporting with uh, the various state entities. So it was a really good fit for me when I, when I learned more about green bits in the space. Okay. And Barry, there's a few POS systems or point of sale systems for cannabis retailers. Where do you think green bits strength is relative to the competition out there? Yeah, there, you're right. There are quite a few of them, although we're starting to see uh, it consolidate into a few of the bigger players. Um, but where green bits really stands out is we early on focused on compliance. And so we really uh, work hard to ensure that um, our customers are 100% compliant with their state rules and regulations in terms of all their filings. And we make it really seamless and easy to stay compliant. So as you're using the product and selling products and taking an inventory, we've, we've worked hard to make it so that you just have to use the system and we do all the filing in the background. Um, so that's one big strength. And the second one is we've really focused on ease of use of our um, point of sale register system. So we're the only one in the market that has uh, an app-based system that ensures a high degree of usability, um, really speedy operation, and uh, a user interface that's really designed for a tablet so that uh, bud tenders can really work effectively. And overall, all this translates into time savings for the dispensary. You know, you don't want to spend time as a dispensary owner or manager, you know, training people or having to go back and do a bunch of catch-up filing or, or building your own Excel reports to send to the, the state filing agency. We make all that go away so that you can spend more time figuring out how to grow your business and, and get more customers and sell more product. Yeah. And it's just super boring. Let's be honest, Barry. 
It is. It's a little boring to be working in spreadsheets and doing accounting stuff. And so that's what software is for. That's why companies like Greenbits exist is to make all that easy. So you can spend time doing things that are more enjoyable, more fun. And what about, uh, how does it work then with these state regulators? Do you get, do you apply for, as a partner to get an API to their, their compliance system or how does that work? Uh, our customers actually uh, do get the the keys so that we key. are okay. filing on behalf of them, but we work closely with the various providers uh, and have an API that we use with them. Uh, so we, we definitely have a lot of communication with the, the various filing agencies to work out how best to solve uh, the problems for our customers together. Which of the states do you think are doing the best job in just creating a... Uh, kind of a, a nimble, effective software for compliance. I mean, it's not something, like I said, it's not fun, but which state's doing a good job? Would you say the top one or two? Um, yeah, well, one point of clarification too is that almost all the states outsource the filing to um, three companies. Uh, there's Metric, Leaf, and Biotrack. Metric is the leading uh, company. They have the, the most states under contract. Um, and then a lot of it is affected by the rules the states put in place. Yeah. And then Metric implements those rules. So from a rule standpoint, I would really look at um, Oregon as being a leader. You know, they were, they've been uh, out early and figuring out how to make everything work. But they, they, the legislature and the rules have really taken an approach of enabling the market <clears throat> and making it easy for both metric and the dispensaries to, to understand what the rules are and then stay compliant with the rules. Okay. And when you think about the process that a worker in a dispensary has to go through an employee there, how do you think about workflows and automating that? I mean, we talked about, you know, with the regulation piece and like making sure you're compliant with reporting, but what other kind of workflows are there? Uh, there's, there's many, you know, uh, intaking inventory is a big deal. Um, so making sure you've got the inventory set up properly and then intaking the actual products, uh, and counting them and, and then making them available for sale. Conducting sales is the most important one, making sure that you can actively process sales. We actually have an emergency mode so that if the network goes down, we allow our customers to continue processing sales because that's such an important workflow. Uh, and then there's stuff that starts to get much more complicated and nuanced. Um, uh, customers that have more than one store will need to split inventory and transfer it between locations, which um, requires uh, some special work. And then um, another, another example um, would be managing deliveries and setting up, uh, setting up deliveries in a good way. You know, one frustration I know that's out there is sometimes let's say you have, you run out of flour of a particular strain or a, a vape cartridge or an edible, and then the third party kind of live menu or review sites show that they're in stock, even though they're not in stock and the end user gets frustrated. Do you think there's progress being made there? Can you talk about that at all? There is. Um, and that's a, a result of the, the, the menu and online uh, menu companies being separate companies from the point of sale. Uh, there's definitely progress in partnership. We're working closely with, um, with the menu providers. Um, I, I'll mention Dutchie is one that we've um, 
worked with quite a bit. They, um, and, and we're just working on how to figure out what the right way to make sure they're up to date with current inventory and representing products in the right way. There's a lot of detail there and a lot of rules. Again, you get back into the, um, the compliance aspect of what pricing and what products you show. Uh, but, um, but we're making a lot of progress. Uh, it really is, does require a partnership between the, the companies. Okay. So a lot of retailers want to be able to integrate with other software packages that do different things. So everything talks together. What's kind of being asked for the most and what do you integrate with now? Uh, well, we integrate with, on, we call them online menu feeds. So the online menu companies is a big one. Uh, the other one is loyalty points. Uh, a lot of the stores, you know, you know, cannabis is a pretty competitive retail space. And so just as you see in some of the other competitive retail segments uh, where, where uh, the retailers are trying to drive loyalty points and other programs and couponing and reaching out to customers with marketing programs to try to bring customers back to their store, you see that in the cannabis space as well. And loyalty points is a key, a key uh, feature that allows that. Um, so those are, the, I think, the two big ones that we've seen. Um, the third I'll mention is then delivery integration. And that's something that the, the COVID pandemic has certainly uh, you know, raised in importance. There's a lot more emphasis on delivery these days. Now, you mentioned that you worked at Intuit, which most people heard of TurboTax, and then most business owners have heard of QuickBooks. One of the things that really set Intuit apart, especially in the early days, was making it usable for their clients. And I had read about this. I can't remember in which book. And one of the ways that, that Intuit made sure the software products were usable for the way that the users actually used them, not this pie in the sky idea of how they should use them was they would watch them use that. Can you talk about what that what that is and if you use that at all with GreenBits? Sure. Um, yes, we call at Intuit, we call those follow me homes. And it's a technique that the Intuit founder, Scott Cook developed when he was um, building the very first versions of Quicken, which is a personal finance software. And he brought over some techniques from the consumer packaged goods space. He was a Procter & Gamble alumni. And you know, when you're selling, selling uh, consumer goods like cake mix or something, the way you test it is you, you would typically bring people in because you can set up an environment and have them make cakes. And, but one of the things Procter & Gamble learned is that you know, it's better to go out and see what people are doing in their house. And so Scott applied the same techniques and in software, it's even more important because there's, you're doing so much and there's so many workflows that then affect real life that are outside of the product, if you will. And you only way, the only way you can really see those and see those unexpected things is if you're there actually watching. You know, if you try to do a lot of stuff remotely um, and in today's world, you know, over the internet doing um, like a FaceTime kind of uh, interview with, with a customer, the problem is they're filtering whatever they tell you. And you can't break through that unless you're actually there and able to see something they do or pick up a piece of paper. You go, why'd you pick that up? Uh, so that's the, that's the spirit of it is being able to observe the things that may get filtered by uh, the, the respondent if you're actually asking them to, to tell you what's going on. Now at GreenBits, we do the same thing. We do a lot of store visits um, and spend time with our customers uh, watching how the store operates, understanding you know why they're asking for certain features or functionality or extensions, and also looking at how we're doing on the on the key workflows. So that's just a, a key piece of how we 
how we conduct business and how we get inputs from our customers about, uh, about how to make the software work for them. Was there like one specific thing that kind of stood out to you in the follow me homes to the dispensaries? I don't know if there's one specific thing. I, I think uh, when you, I think the thing that stands out for me is the number of different workflows and the, um, the difficulty that then creates with managing uh, the dispensary. Uh, you know, there's, because of the compliance aspect and the high number and variability of the products that are actually being sold, which was a, a surprise to me. I thought it would be much more like, you know, there's like 15, 20 different kinds of things you're buying, but most stores have hundreds of products available. Um, you know, different strains and different cartridges and vapes, you know, different dis- uh, mechanisms for dispensing. So it, it creates quite a lot of variability. And then you've got the other dynamic of a retail environment where you're hiring um, help that has a high degree of turnover. And so there's a need to keep them trained and up to speed with how the store operates. And so my main takeaway was, wow, there's a lot going on. And this is a difficult business for a, a manager to really manage and run effectively. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. And so how do you think about the user interface? Cause there's, as you mentioned, there's a lot of different workflows. There's a lot of different types of inventory. Um, you have to do complex things like split inventory between different retail shops. I mean, how do you make a user interface that is approachable because I know when you're working on software, there's a tendency to get like so deep in the weeds, it's hard to have a beginner's mind as to what the end user is looking at. Well, yeah, that's a challenge. I mean, that's why we have designers that um, that think a lot about user experience and how to design an experience that allows the user to have the right capabilities and easily understand the options, um, but also doesn't overwhelm them with a, a bunch of um, features and functions that just make it more complicated and difficult to, to know what to do. And it's a, it's a tough balance. Um, it's uh, something that, you know, all software companies uh, have to deal with, especially if you're tackling difficult user problems. I saw this in the tax space uh, for years where you have this challenge of how do you take this complex problem and digest it down so that a, a regular average person can operate software. The other thing I think people don't always appreciate is that you have users that have very different skill levels and knowledge levels about the space you're working in too. And so it can be really tricky to figure out how do I present the right interface to a user based on what type of user they are and how do I give them an option? How do I give a, you know, a, a pro user a way to not have to go through a slow, more helpful interface and let them have, you know, an expert mode that they that they can kind of quickly go through. So it's always a balance of trying to figure out exactly how much do your customers know, how experienced are they, how much help do they need, and then what's the right way to design the software to, to you know, allow them to accomplish the task as, as quickly as possible. So on 420 7, and 710, maybe there's, those are, or maybe, and also right around Christmas time, I know there's huge demands on kind of the network or server architecture. Um, can you talk about just, some of the scaling issues around 420. I know, you know, some of the um, POS software providers have had difficulties around, you know, maintaining um, services and software connections during that time. But can you just talk a little bit about that generally and then your server architecture and your emergency mode? 
Sure, sure. Uh, and, and actually, emergency mode is a little unrelated, but um, I can talk about it a little bit. But um, scaling on 420 uh, has been historically a challenge in the in the industry. You know, and a lot of industries that I've been in have um, have a cyclical nature, or a, you know, a, a season where there's there's more sales. Um, I, and actually, the 420 spike is not particularly. Uh, larger than I've seen in other industries, uh, particularly like the tax industry, tax software and tax prep is very spiky. <laughs> um, right. And more so even actually when you get down to, you know, the, um, April 15th, um, where you see, you know, more like five, six X <laughs> times traffic, you know, in the cannabis space, we see kind of 50% more. So, you know, okay. maybe half an X to one X one time, uh, the size, um, of normal, normal processing. So, you know, it's a challenge. Um, Greenbits historically before I joined ha- did have some, some outages, but it's really, um, you know, when you have an outage like that, it's really just a lack of focus and planning in today's world, like building out systems that can scale all the companies have access to cloud based infrastructure. So it's not an issue anymore of like, you need to rack servers and make sure the servers are up and running. It's really uh, just an issue of spending time focusing on it and figuring out how to do load testing that actually is a real load test and not some sort of fake test that's not really representative of, of what your production environment uh, is like. Because the thing about scaling and handling a lot of load is that oftentimes you're surprised as you scale up with which piece of the system starts to fall down. And it's not always immediately obvious which piece is going to be your bottleneck. And you know the best way to tell us to is to exercise it and get comfortable with with the traffic you can handle. Uh, at Greenbit, since I've been there, we've been focusing a lot on scalability and reliability um, for just that reason because it's un- you know, it's completely unacceptable to go down on peak selling days. I mean, we're running the sales and you've got a bunch of stores in the you know customers in the store, and the last thing you want to have happen is your point of sale system crashes or has a problem. Um, so that's why we're we're super focused on on that. We had extremely clean 420 this year. We had no issues at all, uh, and we uh, expect the same going forward because we've been been spending a lot of time on our architecture and a lot of time testing. You know, we run low tests uh, against our production environment, and we can get comfortable with how much how much traffic we can handle. Um, yeah, you, know, you mentioned emergency mode. Um, emergency mode is uh, really there for uh, a lack of connectivity. And so we've we've seen a need for this uh, because people's Wi-Fi and internet connections, depending upon the provider and depending upon their Wi-Fi setup, uh, we've seen uh, some of our customers have challenges with keeping that connectivity running. And so the emergency mode is great because when you do lose connectivity to the backend service, you can keep selling product uh, and, and operate your store. Okay, so it's like the local client has the client software has the ability to to run things locally. And then once the cloud connects again, it syncs. Yeah. You can think about it like a sync architecture. Um, the nuance there though, and it's not, it's not an easy thing to do is that all of our registers sync with each other too, because we can't, you know, we have to track everything. And so we can't allow the registers to both try to sell the same product. And so we do have um, sync between the registers on the LAN as well. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot going on behind the scenes you have to think about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Indeed. So just from your perspective, how has COVID-19 changed how cannabis retailers work and function and their care abouts? 
Well, I mentioned the the focus on uh, delivery, which is one key one. You know, there's other things though too that have come up, like curbside pickup and order in advance and pickup. So you, you do see just this emphasis on more COVID um, socially distant workflows, if you will. And that one, you know, kind of makes sense and is pretty obvious. I think the other thing we've seen is that they're all of, all of our customers are selling a lot more. I mean, their sales have been up pretty much 30% above what they were tracking before the COVID um, pandemic. So that's just been an interesting thing for all of our customers uh, to you know deal with and account for. Okay. And what, I mean, no one has a crystal ball here, but how do you think the cannabis retail space is going to change and evolve over the next three to five years? Um, I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a classic example of a early, of an industry that is figuring out things and was early. And there was a lot of disparate companies trying to attack problems in different ways. And it's natural as the industry matures to see some of that stuff consolidate, you know, and it's, and it's, it's kind of like Darwinism, natural selection, right? Like the the things that work well, people will gravitate to you. And that means the things that aren't working well and the companies that aren't doing quite as well are going to struggle to keep up. And so we're seeing some of that, seeing some consolidation and, um, and in the industry across the various different uh, tech providers. And so I think that's, uh, that's something that you'll, you'll see continue a little bit just through the natural choices that, that um, you know, the company, the dispensaries are making on, on who they want to use to provide their software and services. Well, I know a lot of uh, cannabis retailers and delivery companies have come up with a lot clever ways of being able to accept debit cards and different things. But when we get a full legalization of uh, banking opportunities for cannabis retailers, how do you think that's going to affect the retail environment? I mean, the, the big one is that you'll be able to pay with your credit card, which is what every consumer wants. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time with payment solutions over the years, working on accounting and personal finance. And it's, um, there's a lot of alternate payment vehicles out there and companies trying to do other alternatives. Um, I've seen time and time again, though, that overall consumers want to pay with the thing that's already in their wallet. And so credit card payments is a key enabler. It, it will, um, I think from a standpoint of a consumer experience, it's going to feel very natural. It's, it'll be like paying for anything else, paying for coffee. You know, you tap your, tap your card or you know, use your, your phone for a um, contactless payment. Um, so that part won't feel as different. What's interesting for the retailers though, is there's really good data that shows that using credit cards uh, increases sales in two ways. You can process more volume because it speeds up the transactions and everybody just knows how to pay and it's very comfortable um, and familiar. And then people tend to buy more when they're using credit cards than when they're using cash or other systems. And so I'm excited about those two factors of being able to increase the throughput and uh, increase the, the basket size of sales. Do you think we'll see some sort of cannabis rewards credit card that's, you know, cross dispensary? Uh, possibly, I, you know, I think when you think about those kinds of things, I think it's important to ask, like, why is that a good thing, uh, for what type of people? Um, so I think we'll see some of that, but it, I, I believe that'll be more of a niche, uh, offering for, for probably, uh, more, you know, the people on the heavier use side of things. 
Um, typically cards like that, you know, and with, with credit cards, there's a, there's, there's a set of complicated economics behind credit card offerings. And the reason you see cards that are affiliated with a certain brand or, or entity is usually because there's some type of, of points um, kickback to the end consumer that's related to the backend economics. And so, you know, that might make sense. Like I, I have one from REI and, you know, I get, the more I spend, I get points credits that I can spend at REI for future products. Um, so you can see something like that happening in the cannabis space, but those tend to be, um, you know, for the, for the, the higher consumption, heavy users. Um, but we'll definitely see them. You know, the way the crypto space is evolving, it kind of reminds me of the early internet. I remember the first time I used Quicken, it was a CD-ROM. It wasn't even connected uh, to the internet, I don't think. And, uh, and now we kind of have these edge use cases of uh, digital assets and cryptocurrencies. Do you see a similar arc to the internet and ways that's going to be integrated into people's lives? Uh, you know, I, I think crypto will eventually transform how we do payments. I, I think the challenge with crypto is that it, the, the interesting thing from a payment standpoint is if you can clear payments uh, very inexpensively and quickly, uh, then it's valuable from a transactional payment standpoint. But we haven't seen any of the crypto platforms actually fulfill on that promise of providing really cheap and quick uh, clearing of transactions. And coupled with that is most of the crypto platforms are pretty complicated and difficult to set up and, and people aren't familiar with them. And so people have been treating them more as an investment vehicle, like you know buying gold or, or something. Uh, and then that's the other piece of crypto that's been difficult for people to really get their heads around is that cryptos and the, the whole coin thing, digital coin thing, it's it's a digital fiat currency as well as a transaction mechanism combined into one. And there's actually two different um, benefits out of those things, right? The fiat currency on, alone is an interesting thing and it can, you know, cause you can invest in it or it can change value but then the transactional capabilities are a different thing to think about. So I think both will have an effect on um, how we buy things in the future. It just isn't easy enough to use them right now. And there's just too much uncertainty. And so people will, I think, largely gravitate in the near term back to credit cards and the US dollar uh, until something that's a better alternative comes around. Okay. And where are you in the capital raising process? Uh, well, we completed our uh, latest capital raise uh, back in the fall. And so we are you know, building the company right now. So we're, we're just 100% focused on our customers, on building out the software and investing that capital wisely for our investors. Okay. For accredited investors that are interested in, in investing, is there a way they can reach out or is that on hold for now? Uh, well, uh, with us, that's on hold. We've closed our round and, and we are pretty set on capital. Okay, good. Good. And I want to ask a few personal development questions, Barry, to help listeners get a better sense of who you are. Mm -hmm. Is there a book that's had a big impact on your life or your way of thinking that you'd like to share? Well, I, the one I always go back to, and it's not actually a business book, um, but there's a book called uh, The Power of One by Bruce Courtnoy. And they actually made a movie out of it, but the book is, as usual, <laughs> way better than the movie. Um, that's all about 
perseverance and about um, pushing through adversity. And it's just a very inspiring book um, about a boy growing up in Africa in the, in the gold mines and how he, you know, struggles to find himself and develop and grow up. And it's just a really, really great book. And it's um, reinforced for me the importance of, of knowing that, you know, when, when things get tough, you, you, you can push through them. The book talks about you need help sometimes, and it's important to look for that help. But ultimately, you got to also dig deep and push through things, and, and you'll find a path through the problems. And besides what you're doing at GreenBits, what do you think the most interesting thing going on in the cannabis industry is? Uh, well, from a from a business standpoint, I think the continuing legalization across the the country, you know, it's it's pretty obvious, but that's that's huge. I mean, just the more and more states that legalize, I think it's just better better for everybody. It makes the space you know, safe and in terms, both in terms of the quality of the products and in terms of the, the banking side of it and the purchasing experience. Um, so I think that one's really, really interesting. Um, and then the, you know, we mentioned and talked a little bit about the, um, the financial aspect and the, the you know, the federal uh, endorsement of banking is, is a big one. Um, it, it, the lack of the banking infrastructure and, and real digital payments uh, happening in the space creates all kinds of weird things and, and unsafe issues for people in industry. So those two, I think, are the are the most important enablers of the industry. Okay. And what is the one thought that you have that most people would disagree with you on? Um, yeah, that's a that's a tough one. Um, you know, I'm you know right now we're all embroiled in in the COVID space. You know, I, I guess right now I, I find, I think we're going to get through the COVID thing in another month or two. I think um, I really have a lot of faith in, in science. I'm impressed with them. I mean, it's just amazing how fast these companies were able to make vaccines and get them out. And, you know, we're all sort of talking about the distribution issues and how fast can it get out and what are the rules around who gets it first. But I'm, I'm in the mindset of like, just keep pushing on guys, like get, get those shots in people's arms. And you know what, we're going to be through this. And I think people are going to be surprised. And then all of a sudden have to figure out, it's like you come out of the light on the other side of the tunnel and you're, it's bright light. You're like, okay, now what? Like, I think that's going to happen pretty soon that we're going to be, be on the other side and feel like, wow, I am glad that is over with. Well, Barry, as we close, how can listeners find out more about green bits and for uh, retailers that are interested in coming on? and uh, giving your software a try, how can they find you? Sure, well, just go to greenbits.com and um, we've got contact info up there and information about our products and offerings and that's a that's the place to start. Great, well, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you, it's been a lot of fun. If you enjoyed the show today, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever app you might be using to listen to the show. Every five-star review helps us to bring the best guest to you. Learn more at cannainsider.com forward slash iTunes. What are the five disruptive trends that will impact the cannabis industry in the next five years? Find out with your free report at cannainsider.com forward slash trends. Have a suggestion for an awesome guest on Canna Insider? Simply send us an email at feedback at cannainsider.com. We'd love to hear from you. 
please do not take any information from Canna Insider or its guests as medical advice. Contact your licensed physician before taking cannabis or using it for medical treatments. Promotional consideration may be provided by select guests, advertisers, or companies featured in Canna Insider. Lastly, the host or guests on Canna Insider may or may not invest in the companies or entrepreneurs profiled on the show. Please consult your licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Final disclosure to see if you're still paying attention. This little whistle jingle you're listening to will get stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Thanks for listening and look for another Canna Insider episode soon. Take care. Bye-bye.